0: Today we're going to continue our sermon series on the Immersed series, Poets. And for those of you that are reading along with it throughout the last couple of weeks, this week you'll be reading the second half of book number five of Psalms and the first half of the book of Job. But today we're going to be discussing the entire book of Job. And it's no secret that this piece of scripture is probably the most depressing book within the word of God. It is a long one. It contains 42 chapters, and those chapters can be divided into about five different sections. The first part describing the identity of Job and what happened to him, who caused it. The second part covers the arrival of Job's Job's three friends and the conversation that takes place between them. And then section three describes Job's instruction from a younger man that comes along named Elihu. The fourth section of this book gives us God's reply to Job's questions and and about his suffering. And then it concludes with chapters 41 and 42. And inside of those, Job confesses and uh, also God rebukes Job's three friends. Now, even though the book of Job uh, appears in the Bible right before the Psalms, we can gather that Job is most likely the oldest book within the Word of God in, in the history of the world also. A lot of scholars have debated over the generations um, exactly how old it is. And within these 42 chapters, we can find support that it definitely is probably the oldest book of the Bible. For instance, there's no mention of Israel. There's no mentioning of Moses. And when we look into Job's wealth, it's measured in livestock, in possessions and servants It also mentions that he was a great man and one of the greatest in the land and he had a very high ranking of social prominence. We also read earlier or read early in chapter 1 that he's blameless, he's upright, he walks with God, he turned away from evil. This was a man who had a lot going for him and he had everything that a person in those days could ever dream of. And in the blink of an eye, all of that was gone. Now, the book of Job presents many questions to us. Why do people suffer? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do Christians suffer when they've walked with Christ in a firm relationship? And this book also answers these questions of, does God hear my prayers at all times? And when we're going through struggles, we ask, does God even care right now? And I want to make sure that we understand something as we dive into this piece of Scripture because you have to have a particular view of God. If you have a problem with suffering, and when I say problem, it's not necessarily that you're going through the suffering, but when you do, it really bothers you. For instance, if you have a belief that God is bad, then there's no problem with suffering because, I mean, he's a bad God, so he will make you suffer, right? But if you believe that God is good, then you have a problem with suffering. If you think God is weak and can't help you out in certain situations, then you don't have a problem with suffering. But if you know that God is the one true God and that He is good and He is in control, in control of everything, then you have a problem with suffering. Sometimes inside the church, we can have a sickness that goes around and claims that God is weak. Even if within the very church that we're a part of at times. And that He can't do anything in today's world. And it's up to us to fix everything. This is like a family that runs a farm and there's a grandfather that's very old in age and he doesn't get around very well. He's still at the top of the the totem pole. He loves his family, but the children and the grandchildren do all the work. We can view God like that sometimes. And as we go through the book of Job, we see that he believes in a God that is powerful, capable of fixing things and is loving beyond all measures. That is why Job has a problem while he's enduring this season of struggles and pain and hurt. It causes Job to ask the famous question that we have all asked, Why? Why, God? Just before the tragedies begin to strike in Job's life, God hosts a a meeting with His angels and Satan shows up. And that's right, even God has staff meetings. And it's then that He calls out when he has all of his angels together discussing responsibilities, that uh, Satan starts to challenge God. He pokes at a man named Job. He tells God that Job's not really a faithful guy. You've blessed him with so many things during his life. I bet you, God, that if you take away all the things that he has, that he'll curse your name and he'll turn away from the faith. Because you see, Satan has walked on the earth and he's seen what humans are like. And he believes that people only praised God because of what they had in their blessings. He thought that if they had struggles and hardship, then they would turn away from God for sure. Do we see that in today's world at all? You bet we do. We have people that have had rough childhoods, people who've gone through divorce or have a loss, they've lost a loved one, they've been cheated, they've been treated wrong. And because they don't have a perfect family or a life full of riches, they get angry at God. They think that they've sinned. They don't even believe in Him at times. I've been asked a few times in my life how I turn on the news and, and go out into the world and just see that this, what kind of state it's in. When I do that, how, do I, how can I be a Christian? How can I even be a pastor? And I had to think about that question. And after a while, it came to me, and the, the reason why I'm able to endure hard times and seeing people that are struggling is because I am a Christian. And to the older generation, I want to talk to you right now because this is very specific. You may feel at times that uh, your time serving within the church is gone. You could say, I've been put to pasture. You may have helped out with Sunday school for many years or, or or VBS or or been in the choir and helped out with the different ministries that we do. And so you think, well, I've served my time. I can sit back and relax now. But really I'm here to tell you that this is the most important time of your life. Because you've been through the struggles, you've been through the hard times, you've lost loved ones. You've been sick, you've seen the sick. And it was your faith that got you through it. And now it's your job to share those stories, to share your testimonies with the young adults of this congregation, with the children, with the youth, because that then builds hope into them and it strengthens their faith. The Bible never, not once, says that we can retire from building disciples. And by not sharing your story and your testimony and your faith and how it helped you, that's like knowing the cure for cancer and not telling anyone. It's also the younger generation's job to listen and allow those stories to build our faith. So after this meeting between the angels and God and Satan, God allows Satan to take away all that Job has, but he can't place a hand on him. We can see here that it appears that God and Satan, as we mentioned, have kind of a bet going on, and it's true. Job doesn't know what's going on, though. And we only have a glimpse of what was going on up in heaven during this meeting because of the scriptures. And what we have here is God speaking through a poet who wrote the book of Job in a divine revelation. And this writer takes a true story that actually happened and he shows us the real lessons that we can take away from it. One of those lessons we get from the early chapters of Job is that Satan is not omnipresent. He can only be in one place at one time. Because if we believe that he is omnipresent, then we're putting him on the same level as God. And that's not thats not true. We see in Matthew chapter 4 how when Satan came and he tempted Christ out in the wilderness, after he had failed and Christ didn't give in, Satan departed from him. We also see in the first couple of chapters of Job that if you are a child of God, Satan can only put a hand on you if God allows it. We have to remember that we are part of this fallen world. We have free will. We have a choice to make. And Satan can't touch us unless God allows it. That's why we pray and lead me not into temptation when we say the Lord's Prayer. But it also can be kind of scary knowing that that could happen. But let's also look at another part of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Satan can't hold a candle to God. It doesn't even come close. You can compare it to when you're walking down a sidewalk and you see a little ant crossing it and you step on it and squish him. It's easy, right? The power that God has to control Satan and to defeat him is a million times greater than even that. He is no match. There's no real battle God could take care of them like that. So Satan goes to work and the tragedies start to uh, build up. First of all, the livestock uh, and uh, many of Job's servants are killed or taken. And on that very same day, a big wind comes out of nowhere. And while his kids, all ten of his kids are in a house eating and drinking and having a good time. The house crumbles and it kills all of his kids. All of this in one day. So now Job doesn't have his wealth. He's lost lost his seven sons and his three daughters. In a single day, his life has just completely fallen apart. Yet in this cloud of sorrow and grief, he doesn't sin. He doesn't blame God. In fact, he worships God and acknowledges one of the famous verses that we repeat at times. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. He even states, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, as you can imagine, this gets under Satan's skin. And on the next day, Satan goes up and meets with God again. And and he says, you know what, God? The only reason Job still is blameless and worshiping you is because he values his life and his health more than all those possessions. And if you afflict his body, he will turn away from you. So God says, oh, yeah. Yeah. Fine. Satan, you have permission to attack Job's body, but you must spare his life. So Satan then sends boils upon Job's body from his head to his toe. So now his health is gone. And while he's sitting in these ashes and he's scraping these sores with a a piece of material from a broken pot, his wife comes alongside of him. And at that moment like this, you would expect a wife to sit with him, to mourn with him, to pray with him, to encourage him because of everything that's happened in the last few days. But instead, Job's wife turns to him and she tells him to curse God and die. He's just lost his children, his wealth. Remember, he's up there on popularity, so everybody knows what's going on. And here's his wife saying, why don't you just end it all and curse your God? She's not going to win wife of the year award. That's for sure. But how easy is it for us to believe in a God when things are going right? When the sun is shining and all things are clicking together and, and our lives are just going great. But then when tragedy hits and we suffer, our faith can wither. That's what we see here with Job's wife. I mean, we have to assume that she's mourning. She's mourning. That she's going through a painful time. Her kids are gone. All of them, all at once. Her way of life has been turned upside down. So through this mourning process, this is how she chooses to respond. And then three of Job's friends show up. These are buddies of his. And they wonder about what Job did wrong to deserve all of this. They're pretty sure that at some point he had sinned and that's why he's suffering. But Job is pretty sure that he hasn't sinned. And they're sitting there trying to figure out exactly what brought this on. They found themselves in the fire with Job and to figure out what's going on. Have you ever noticed that when we gain wealth, relationships, materials, we credit it to being blessed because of our faith? Very true at times. But then when we suffer and we come across troubling times, we think this has to do something, has to do something with a, a sin that I've done in the past. I'm, I'm getting punished right now because of what I did that one time. But when we look at Scripture, we have to see that the real question that's being presented in this book isn't about the suffering of a righteous man, but of faith. Can you hold on to your faith when everything hits the fan and your whole world seems to crumble around you? Can you trust God when the going gets tough? Anyone can have strong faith when things are going good. But what happens when the road gets tough? We can see that Job is feeling physical pain now with the boils. People were avoiding him because who knows how to talk to a guy that's had all this happen to him. Plus, he, he looks disgusting with these. So he's, he's got to be lonely. I mean, his own wife has turned on him. But the real pain and heartache that he was feeling at this time wasn't from the boils and everything that happened. The pain that he's feeling is because he's feeling like God isn't around. He felt like he wasn't listening to him and, and didn't care. Have you ever felt like that? When you were in a season of suffering, you prayed. It felt like you didn't hear anything. We read in chapter 30, verses 20 through 30, that uh, Job starts to cry out to the Lord. We can put ourselves in Job's shoes here. Basically, he yells out, God, where are you? If only I could talk to you right now. Tell me, what did I do? What is going on here? That was the biggest cause of Job's pain. He felt abandoned by God. And when we go through hard times in our own lives, we can feel like God has abandoned us. It can feel like he's a million miles away. And it is that pain that challenges our trust and our faith in God when we are struggling. It's the thought that God has hung up the phone and every time we try to call him back, he just sends it right to voicemail. So we call again and again and again, but we don't hear anything. So after sitting there uh, with his buddies in silence for days, Job finally opens up a little bit and When he talks, he doesn't curse God. He doesn't sin. He curses himself. And he wishes that he would have died as an infant or even before he was born in his mom's womb. But he didn't curse God. Now, this opened up the doorway for his three buddies to send their two cents in. Their names were Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Eliphaz says that Job's just being punished because he had to have sinned. He tells him that... Everybody sins and basically that's just a part of life that if he confesses his sins and repents, God's going to give it back to you. So Eliphaz is basically saying, hey, bro, that's life. You ever been told that before? But Job then wants to know why he's suffering more than anybody else. I mean, after all, he's an upright guy. Eliphaz then says that God is letting him suffer to make him a better person. Does that sound familiar? He then tells Job that God's too busy. He's too important. He's too big of a deal to even bother with you, Job. How often do we say that to ourselves when we're going through struggles? And eh, God doesn't care about the challenge or sickness, whatever that I'm going through right now. There's, 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 uh, you know, people that are actually really sick and, and close to death. There's, there's people that can't pay their mortgage right now that are dealing with bigger struggles than my own, he's not going to answer the call to me. How often do we lie to ourselves like that? Then Bildad takes to his soapbox, and he lacks empathy for Job. And Bildad says to Job, well, if you didn't sin, then your dead children must have sinned. It's harsh, but that's what they say. This guy just lost all ten of his kids like that. And here's one of his best friends throwing a knife at him, calling out his dead children. You see, Bildad is losing his patience with Job because all of these friends came to comfort him and pick him up. And it's taking a lot longer than what they expected to. So Bildad just wants his friend to get over it and quit being a drag, man. It is what it is. Get over it. Because that helps, right? How many times have we said to somebody else or had them say to us, just get over it? He says, God is bigger than all of us and in control of everything. Bill makes us sound like we're just a bunch of puppets on a string. And then the third so-called buddy of Job's tries to take a crack at helping out his old friend. And his frustration is showing as well. He tells Job that he needs to make a decision because... There has to be something that he has done sinful, whether he's aware of it or not. He says that God knows all of our sins. And he says, Job, maybe you've sinned and you just don't know it. Now, as you can see, these three men, these buddies are taking what's happened to Job and they're trying to mold it and to fit it into their beliefs. They force it into their understanding of who God is. How often do we see in churches and in Christians today that uh, that happen? I mean, all Scripture is true and it's useful, but when we use it out of context or in a different circumstance, it can be wrong. We often think that a strong faith brings on good health. And if someone doesn't have a strong faith, then that must be the reason why they're sick, right? Now, sometimes we do suffer because of a lack of faith, and that's how God gets our attention That's not always the reason. So Job refuses to repent because he knows that he has not sinned. And throughout this book, we can see him have different mood swings as well. He argues with his friends, argues with God. Good luck with that one. He doesn't curse God during the argument, but he does show his frustration. And here we got his friends throwing in their two cents, which just stirs the pot even more. We can really see him have these ups and downs because in chapter 14 and uh, in verse 14 of Job, he states, if a man dies, shall he live again? But then in chapter 19, beginning in verse 25, he says, I know my redeemer lives and that at the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. And his moods continue to go up and down throughout all of these chapters with his discussion with his friends and with God. And it's something that we've all gone through. When you've been going through a tough time, have you woken up after a great night of sleep and you're ready to tackle the day? You know that life is, is hard and you have your, your share of struggles and maybe you're going through a really bad season in life, but you wake up and you have that hope and you're like, you know what, God's going to get me through this today. But then 3 p.m. hits, and you just, this sucks. I say it because it's true. We're hurting. That's how we feel. So these up and down mood swings continue. And when we're in a season of struggle or pain, we have our good days where hope is very present, we have our hard days where we're just plain exhausted. Then in chapter 31, Job goes through a list of possible sins that he maybe committed. But after that, he's like, no. Remember, he walked upright. He was a good man. In chapter 32, Elihu shows up. And it seems like he's been close enough to hear all of these conversations with Job and his buddies and his wife. And, and he goes through all the arguments that he's heard. And, and he says that God's helping him straighten out his path before he dies, basically. And then he leaves. We heard that one before too, probably. Finally, finally, in chapter 38, God talks to Job. But it's an interesting conversation that he has with him. Because God says, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations, Job? Tell me. Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know Job, right? Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Who laid its cornerstone, Job? And this continues for the rest of the chapter. God is saying, you don't ask the questions. I do. This is to remind Job that he isn't God. Job's then humbled. Who wouldn't it be, right? If God talked to you like that. You see, through all of this, Job is questioning God and trying to prove Him wrong. And we've all done this before. We've all shown the sign of weakness. Why would God allow this to happen? Why doesn't He just eliminate evil and let us live in peace? Some of you might have said that before. Some of us have heard it. When we ask those questions, we're practically stating that if we were God, we would do a better job than him. God then continues to speak to Job. And by this point, I bet Job's feeling about that big. God brings up different creatures that he's created and asks Job if he knows why these animals do the things they do or why they were even created. Huh, Job? Do you know? You see, God is showing Job that there are things in this world that we don't understand. And it is isn't up to us to understand. Because only God can understand it because He created it all. I honestly don't know why we have mosquitoes. They're worthless. Why do we have stickers in our yards that hurt our feet when we walk barefoot in the summertime? Why in the world did God create mincemeat pie? You see, we can question all of these creatures, all of these creations, and why certain situations happen and not know why. But God knows why. In chapter 42, a humble Job confesses that he's heard of God, but now his eyes have seen him and he repents. It is here that Job realizes that he is now once again connected to God. That that was the real pain that he was feeling. He was apart from God. But now he's with him again and that's all that matters. He says that he should have trusted him and then Job goes on to receive twice as much as he had. God then turns to the three so-called friends of Job's and he calls them out for misusing God and not speaking of Him correctly. It's almost, almost as if they took Scripture out of context and used it to fit their own beliefs. You ever done that? Do we take Scripture out of context and mold it into how we view God and how we understand God? Do we take Scripture and use it mold it to fit our political beliefs? Surely not, right? So God then turns to these three and accuses them of that. And we still see that happen today. We as humans often let our pride just take over us. We demand to know a reason for why everything happens. We look for uh, God to answer to us. And that is when we put our faith and ourselves, and not God. In the book of Job, we see an innocent man suffer as if he was guilty of many sins. And we see God use that situation for good. It's almost like somebody else that we've read about in the Bible. What did you say? In the Gospels, we see God giving Christ, His only Son, for the good. He allowed Satan, allowed Satan to partake in the death of Christ. And we have to remember that while he was there hanging from that tree, Even Christ asked God why he had deserted him. And even then, God doesn't answer Jesus. He doesn't tell him why. We find ourselves in the storms of life and suffering. And when we're there, we can lose sight of the bigger picture. Jesus knew why it had to happen in the days leading up to his betrayal and being crucified. But even in the pain and the suffering, he asked why. Jesus was human. And this shows it. We never find out exactly why Job suffered and went through this season of pain, but the question isn't, why did all of this happen? It's not us asking God, why did he have to die? Why did she do this to me? Why am I sick? Or why am I going through this, God? No. That's not the question. The question is, do you trust God? When pain, sickness, loss, and other struggles enter into your life, will you ask why? Or will you trust in God and then allow your faith to rise up from the ashes? Amen.